before we start, we're putting out a spoiler warning now. If you have not seen the movie, don't listen to us until after the movie. So today, Stephen and I are discussing the secrets of Dumbledore. Y'all, I was half right about the secret. A Dumbledore, namely Abiforth, fucked somebody. It wasn't a goat, but it was a girl. And that was the secret of Dumbledore. Only one of the secrets because there's an S, so therefore it's plural. I really want to fixate on the one, though. I know the rest you do. of them. You were nah. fixating on the one before we saw it. Look, it's canon. It's canon. I'm just saying. And I taught people last night at the movie that it was canon. That was probably my favorite part was people just think I'm a madman for any number of reasons, mostly uh, with merit. Um, I'm not just shouting that Abiforth fucks goats because I think it's a funny sentence. It's in the books. He Dumbledore said he did. We're getting off track. He fucked a goat, but he fucked a girl in this. Excited to be here. Excited to be here to discuss the many secrets of Dumbledore, plural. Um, Danny, last night in the car, as we were driving home from the movie, I asked you just quick reaction. One out of 10. Where'd you rank it? And you said, I believe a six, was it a seven? I said a seven and I'm right now I am sticking with a strong seven. So as of this recording, we saw a pre-screening. So we have only seen this once. So our reactions may change once we process more and see it again. But right now I'm sticking with a strong seven and I believe you were a seven and a half. Yeah. And I feel good about that. I liked this movie a lot. You know, I had a lot of people asking me what I thought about it when I posted that we saw it and Warner brothers. I didn't give any secrets away. I kept the secrets of Dumbledore secret. I just gave them kind of spoiler free reaction. I thought it was a good movie. I thought it balanced the lightness of what makes the Potter films writ large, the Wizarding World films good with the darker elements. I thought the color palette was really pretty and nice and crisp and clean. I thought they kind of restructured a couple different characters' personalities and, and choices in a really smart way from past films. I thought they kind of narrowed down the focus of the plot. Now, certainly in the second movie and somewhat in the first two, it's pretty wide ranging and it's pretty bold in terms of the number of characters they're trying to service. Um, but this one, they brought it down to a much more manageable kind of, you know, plot focus. Uh, and then I thought, you know, not for nothing, I thought Mads Mikkelsen and, and Jude Law were phenomenal together. Um, so, yeah, I liked this movie. I I don't think it's cracking the AFI top 100 anytime soon, but I think it's up there in the upper half of uh, Wizarding World movies, inclusive of both Potter and now Fantastic Beasts. I would agree. They closed up some plot holes. It wasn't as chaotic as Crimes of Grindelwald was. And I really did enjoy it. And I'm looking forward to seeing it again. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's the type of movie, I think. So the movie, tell me if you agree or disagree in some respects feels like a detective film of sorts, not, not purely in the way that the Batman did where the Batman really was the detective film, but that the whole premise of what they're doing here is that one of the secrets of Dumbledore is that Dumbledore has this massive plot because Grindelwald can see the future because he is a seer of some way, shape or form. So Dumbledore's whole theory is in order to get around Grindelwald's ability to see the future, 
you have to confuse him and you have to confuse him by essentially doing the unexpected thing and creating confusion by doing many things at once. And so each character in this film is given a different charge. Some of the details we are provided, some of which we don't know ourselves. And this whole film progresses where characters are making choices and we have to kind of piece together intentionally, not because the writing was bad. I don't think we have to intentionally piece together people's intentions and how actions tie together. And I, I really liked it. So I think on a rewatch, you're going to be able to maybe, whereas you fixated on, on Newt in this first going, because of course he is, you know, one of the primary characters, you know, maybe you'll focus a little bit heavier on, Yusuf Kama's kind of storyline or Bunty and her thirsty storyline or whatever. I, I, I think on a rewatch, you're going to be able to dive deeper into some of the machinations of the semi-exposed plot lines for those characters. Definitely. No, I definitely agree with that. And I'm excited to be able to do that rather than just the, I feel like sometimes when the first time you see a movie, you watch it for the whole movie and like you try to pick up on the little things, but you're still going to miss things because it's all new content that you're consuming. Because like even in a trailer, like you see little pieces, but it's not a whole thing. You get little glimpses of the trailer throughout it. So you don't really know what's coming. Yeah. That, so we had a couple of friends who saw an early cut of the film. It, it certainly I don't believe it was a final cut. I think it sounds like it was a rough cut. And the sentiment they expressed to us, again, without trying to spoil anything for our benefit, was if you've seen the trailers, you've seen the film. And we talked about this on the drive home last night. I understand their point in that one of the things I thought was fascinating about the trailer was unlike a lot of movie trailers where typically those trailers tend to be super heavy and concentrated on one section of the film. The trailers that we got for Secrets of Dumbledore did encompass action from the first couple of minutes of the film all the way to like the last handful of scenes. There's, t- I don't think you can watch the trailers and understand what, what happens in this movie, but it does in a different way than perhaps I have seen in, in, in modern film kind of preview encompass a lot of the film in terms of the territory it covers. Do we want to start from the beginning or are we just going to... Because we couldn't take notes. Our phones no, were not allowed to be on. No. There was a security guard. So we don't have a concise breakdown as we watch the movie, as we have had during our rewatches. Yeah. So perhaps for the, the to your point, Danny, perhaps for the sake of this, maybe we just kind of semi-chronologically go through and talk through what we remember from various points and what stood out, what we liked, what we didn't. Certainly, I am not uh, foreign to tangents. If tangents arise as we progress, that is fine, too. Uh, How does that sound? Sounds good. Yeah, so I'll tee up the opening, and then you can feel free to get specific. The opening is a little fragmented, in my opinion. You kind of jump around from little vignettes of different character pairings, right? So you get Grindelwald doing his thing and his creepy castle thing, right? You get Newt out in the wild capturing Bambi, right? You get whatever Dumbledore is up. Like you get these different pairings. And for the first like half hour or so, the the action kind of just bops along going from different scene to different scene. And they don't necessarily tie together cleanly. And it's meant, I think, to, I guess, A, catch people up as to what's happening in the plot, but also... I think just to kind of reset where each of the characters is and move forward. And it does feel disjointed, but I promise you it gets 
a lot more cohesive and concise and clean from there. Yeah, it's definitely like a throwback. It's like a here they are now. Here's some new characters. Let's get you all caught up and then let's go into the story. And like, yeah, it's disjointed, but I think it worked for what they were doing. No, it it worked particularly as the rest of the movie unfolded. For the first yes. half hour or so, I was getting a little nervous. I was like, oh no, is just is this just going to be kind of like because one of the complaints I think we had, minus all the canonical complaints from Crimes of Grindelwald, is that it very much felt like two separate stories of there's Newt and all of his creatures, and then there's the actual story of what's Dumbledore doing with Grindelwald, yes. right? And so the opening scene, right, unless I'm forgetting something from 24 hours ago, which is possible, um, is Newt tracking down this chillin. Is that correct? No, it started on Dumbledore. What did it start on Dumbledore? It was because it was a very like slow burn. I'm trying to remember it, but I know it started on Dumbledore. Then it went to Newt. Sure. Uh, that only emphasizes my point perhaps a little bit more. I was just surprised because I remember thinking, because like when Newt came in, he was kind of like running through the forest. But when it started, I remembered it was like kind of more like slow and subtle into it. And I was just kind of like, oh, this is a, it felt you weren't thrown right into it. Yeah, You know, it's funny. I'll just kind of, we're not going to bury the lead here. The whole premise of this movie is that a magical deer can look into a human soul and determine if they're good or if they're bad. And so the whole movie rests on the premise of there being not one chillin, which is the name of the creature that is Bambi, um, but two. And Grindelwald has one and Dumbledore has one and Grindelwald tries to enchant. It's funny, as we were driving home, I was like, this whole movie just rested on the premise of a deer tells people if they're good or bad. Like we just went through two hours, 23 minutes to see a deer bow in front of a human. Yeah. so I you know. I think the first was the tea scene. The first scene with Dumbledore, where the tea scene. It's the tea scene because I really like the scene. I think that was first. That was and- great. Okay, yeah. So let's start there. Okay, look, listeners, this if if this tells you nothing else, it's that a at any point we weren't able to take notes, but b we're not overly produced, heavily high production value here. We're giving you our honest thoughts based on our recollection as we went through them. This is going to be an imperfect, although I am pretty perfect, recount of what we watched on screen last night. Um, oh yeah, oh my God, the tea scene. So, so many things. The way that, I mean, look. So let's let's just start with the big one, which is Mads Mikkelsen. A lot of people, have, as we've talked about on this podcast before, right? Johnny Depp versus Mads Mikkelsen. All I'm going to say, not commenting on the quality of either's performance, although I think both were excellent is Johnny Depp is your quintessential sci-fi fantasy villain, right? He's got this fantastical look, right? That doesn't look of a reality that we're familiar with, right? He 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 really feels like he's not of this world. Mads Mikkelsen, I mean, straight out of central casting for like a Nazi villain. I mean, look, he played Le Chiffre in, in, in Bond and he did that flawlessly. This was that, but without the bloody tears. He is cold. He rocks a suit with just immense amounts of precision and and like not repressed anger, but like very buttoned up kind of cold, like driving anger. And I thought he was just remarkable. And I agree with that. So I was thinking about when I was watching the scene and, and I wasn't trying to compare, but I was trying to think of like, Depp's Grindelwald in that scene and the thing about his is 
it's very chaotic energy to the point where I'm like, okay, so Grindelwald essentially almost took over the whole wizarding world. Depp's version of it in my head, I'm like, I understand why Death Eaters would follow this guy, but I don't, I couldn't see like the average person falling for following this guy. Whereas with Mads, I feel like he had not necessarily charisma, but a charisma that people were willing to follow and follow to the point of wanting him to lead. Well, we're going to go there. He, he fits the bill of so many third Reich leaders, right? And this movie, not for nothing takes place in the late thirties in Germany, mostly right. Like he, his source material for this is pretty straightforward, right? The charisma of a Hermann Goering with the ruthless, maniacal, fanatical leadership of a Hitler. And like, he nails it. Yeah. And, and to, so, you know, I think if Johnny Depp is still in this film, the opening scene can't happen the way it does because there's no way frosted tips, you know, boy band Johnny Depp is walking into a, uh, you know, a muggle tea room and sitting down having a casual conversation. That's they what I love about this there. scene. What? They weren't in the actual muggle world. Yes, they were. He said, you smell them around you, muggles. Yes, they were. I see when no, I was. Ma'am. No, ma'am, because Grindelwald says, can't you smell them muggles? You have to admit they make a good cup of tea. Yeah, but like I took it as it was like a link they had that they weren't actually there in person with each other. No, because Dumbledore is, is doing the tea himself with his own. He, it's not magic. They're in the muggle world. And that's what makes that scene so remarkable to me. Because if they're in the wizarding world, everyone's going to be mobbing them. Because well, hey, I didn't know. I didn't think they were in the wizarding world. I thought it was like in a well, mental are, well, type the, of. Oh, you thought I didn't the whole see thing it was as mental. Like they, I didn't think they were physically in the same uh, space. Because like you see Dumbledore in the tea and there's like a letter or something, like almost like a calling. And in my head, it was a meeting point that they had set up previously in their relationship for them to communicate with each other without being in physical presence. See, my okay, so that raises a really good point. And it, so my interpretation of that was he was recounting something that had happened in the near past. I, you know, to me, it was a memory, but that makes a lot of sense. And that also raises the whole point of they kind of sort of introduced this whole very Akatar-esque, like other universe that exists within the mental connections between people's minds. And like, that's something that happens throughout the films. And it's a little hard to follow because it's not, it's not just like Harry and Dumbledore at King's Cross where there's no one else around. It's like, there, there's this whole world that is there. And like, it's hard to tell like mm-hmm. what's sentient and, versus what's imagined. Yeah. Well, and that ends with, you see Dumbledore, not in the tea room, but hand holding the blood pact, which is why I thought that it was like a mental meetup place and not a physical location for them. Oh, I might give that one to you. Uh. So, and this is stuff like when we rewatch, we'll start like really like, and we might do like a, like 20, 30 minute follow-up after we get more rewatches in. Well, now we better have stuff to say for that one. Wait, uh, yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay, I, I'm with you on that. So yeah. then, then it goes from there to Newt on the raft. But look, so here's before we get to Newt on the raft. Yeah. The thing I want to say just about Grindelwald and Dumbledore and, and Mads Mikkelsen and uh, Jude Law throughout this film is, I walked away from this film still having no idea how Grindelwald 
felt slash feels about Dumbledore. There's, there's been a lot of conjecture and just people kind of, you know, conversing over the past handful of years of, well, was Grindelwald always just leading on Dumbledore as a child? Walking out of this film, I still have no idea what the truth is. And I like that because mm-hmm. I think it's very easy to telegraph. Well, I always loved you and now I don't or I never loved you. And that's just like it cheapens it. Yeah. I love that Mads Mikkelsen was able to provide this nuanced performance that the same way we talk about the twinkle and Jude Law, you know, Dumbledore's eye. Mads Mikkelsen, despite being cold and just absolutely terror inducing, is able to give this smirk and a little bit of not a twinkle, but a little bit of energy in his eyes that it's hard to it's hard to tr- truly understand where the truth lies kind of at his core. And I love that. I it thought is. that was really well done. And when it like comes up, it's he puts it like back on Dumbledore. So you never know what his intentions and his feelings were behind it. He references Dumbledore's feelings more than his own. That raises such a great point, Danny. I'm glad you brought that up. In that tea scene that may or may not be imagined, you know, Grindelwald says along the lines of, you were loyal to me. You were committed to me. Johnny Depp's uh, Grindelwald gives off total bottom vibes. Mads Mikkelsen is a top through and through. Let me tell you. No, very different aesthetics and, and and vibes that the two of them were given off. And boy, oh boy, I think the fanfic peep crowd is going to have a ball with it because it was a whole different Grindelwald. Anywho, I thought about that last night. Carry on. So then that swings, that scene switches to Newt and you see him on this raft, like itty bitty raft, just like floating down this random body of water. Well, it's funny because when that scene first kind of comes, you know, pans up from the water, I'm like, are we about to get Hogwarts? Because I did looks the same like because if you see the light the first and they look like the lights that were on the boats going into Hogwarts. Yeah, you see both of the lights. You see the light from the little boat and it looks like the first year's boat. Yes. I'm like, oh, my God, are we about to get Hogwarts? And then spoiler alert, they do that like an hour later. And it was still really cool. And they did. And I was like, oh, my God. And then you get this really cool pan up on Newt. I don't know how to explain it. Everything about Newt in this film seemed more confident. First two films, don't get me wrong, Newt's done a lot of cool stuff, but in the way he moved, he seemed very timid. And I think that, again, I think that was great. I'm not, I'm not criticizing it. I like it. His character in this film, the physical movement seemed to be with a lot more confidence and on the front foot rather than kind of a little bit of that timidity that we saw. It's almost like, and not like the actor getting more comfortable in his role, but like Newt becoming comfortable in the role and the storyline he has been set to live. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, the whole chilling thing. First off, what, what, what kind of name is that for a creature? It's like, Hey, I'm chilling. No, you're, you're, you're a, you're a glow in the dark deer. Um, I didn't fully get that one. I, look, as we've discussed before, I don't come to these films for the Fantastic Beasts. Um, the chilling thing at first is slightly confusing insofar as Newt, through his own powers of tracking creatures, we assume, finds this chilling, big chilling, who then produces little chilling. And then out of nowhere, um, Long hair Ezra Miller appears with a couple other bad people. I think Vindo was one of them, right? Um, Bellatrix 1.0 um, shows up and 
somehow they're there as well. No one ever explains how they find little chillin and big chillin. Um, and a battle ensues and Newt's case has like eight legs and it can run, which was a new development. Um, I will say one of the things I thought, and I don't know how intentional this was on the movie makers part, but there were a lot of scenes in this that reminisced scenes from the Potter films, right? So I was getting strong Deathly Hallows running through the forest away from the Snatchers vibes as Newt was going through this. There's a couple scenes later that we'll hopefully get to assuming we remember that like felt very much like if not direct callbacks, at least inspired buys. Yeah. I have a few of them listed down. There's no, I was researching. There was no chillin listed in the fantastic case book, the physical book. I was curious. Um, yeah, it was. So then we go to scary Nazi castle, right? It's that or Jacob. Sure. It's either that or Jacob, but just follow the chilling story. They go back to scary Nazi castle. Grindelwald has some weird lines that he gives to Credence. Queenie is looking very different physically than how Queenie looked in the past couple of movies. And Grindelwald using his wand, which um, I guess he conducted a nonverbal magic slits the throat of Lil Chillin um, who did like a little Bambi-esque fall on the ice. Like it looked like if you took the Bambi uh, photo stills uh, like the frames from Disney and you just pasted them in like literally plops down, legs kind of fall. Anyhow. Um, Jacob. Yes. Jacob and we meet Lolly Hicks. Yeah. I, well, I, um, actually, I loved her. The accent took me a little while to kind of get into because it's just, it felt way too much like me as like someone who was trying to put on an accent, but her performance was great in on the performance. Um, not a, it just, the accent took me a couple minutes. No, I like the character. Um, I just, I like the connection. Yeah. I, fun fact, I met Jessica Williams before. Oh, um, she came and spoke at American where I went to college and I was part of the student government executive team that brought her in and she talked during her, like she did like a, you know, a Q and a lecture thing. I, you know, I don't really remember if I'm being honest, but she talked, I remember her talking about like, I'd love to be in a Harry Potter film one day, swear to God, this happened. It was American university, like fall of 2015. Um, and here she is in one it was mm-hmm. i know she was in the past one in the book but like kind of remarkable uh like she whiteboarded that and manifested it it was pretty damn cool yeah i thought she was great the whole setup for jago i thought was outstanding um jago let me say dan fogler again just does a yeoman's work in this movie just great lines like physical comedy actual kind of verbal comedy and intonation like, just perfect like spot on like, nothing i would change at any point in the movie Agreed. No, I really liked him. And they even did like some uh, Fantastic Beast music callbacks during some of his stuff. So that was fun to see here. Whatever. Uh, from here, I have nothing in order. I was just writing things that jumped out at me. Yeah, again, listeners, if you want a perfect recap, I don't know who you're going to go to, but it ain't going to be us. So yeah. <laughs> you've been, you know, you've been warned thief. 
beware, enter, whatever the grand guts thing is. You, you know, come on, you're uh, with I, us. This is we're we're in like episode 100 something at this point. You know, you yeah. know the drill. When so from the bakery, they pop onto a train where Newt and company are, and Jacob sells a frying pan in his hand. And I just kept thinking of a Rapunzel Jacob cosplay crossover because he just like randomly kept carrying this frying pan. Yeah, it felt very much like. You know, they said to Kenneth Branagh, like, hey, can we borrow the Murder on the Orient Express yes. set? Can we, like, just use that for, like, a day or two? Like, you're a Potter guy. Like, we're Potter guys. Like, can we do that? Um, it was. I, I still don't entirely get. I don't get why they had to take a train. I don't. It doesn't make sense when you think about it for it like half a second. The only thing I could think the train making sense was a meetup for everyone because they were all departing from each other. They all and but, kind of showing a. Uh, yeah, but could they not have just met up in an empty warehouse somewhere, had a little talk and then apparate like they could do magic. Yeah, no, I know. It was a really cool scene. I'm in on it. But it's like, well, wait a minute. They don't need to be on a train. Um yeah, so this is where we start to get the beginnings of Dumbledore's game here. It's basically yeah. a game, right? It is. It, it, it's a game and it's a long game. Right? Like, uh, what's her face? Bunty gets a letter only she's allowed to read. Uh, Theseus gets a tie. Use of comma doesn't even get told instructions. He, he just goes. He said he already knows what he's supposed to do. Right? Like, Jacob gets a wand that's not really a wand. It's never fully explained. Like, it's Didn't missing. Didn't he a... say when he handed it that there's no core? Well, sure, it's missing a core. So basically, it's a prop, is my understanding. Yeah. There's no actual power because we see Jessica Williams, we see Yulali Hicks, kind of make him do magic, kind mm-hmm. of sort of the impression that he's doing magic. And so it's never wholly explained. Like, it's there, right? You kind of have to put two and two together on that one. Um, but again, that was one of the things I was really happy with in the trailers is. Again, the same way it would have been really easy to say, Grindelwald, I never loved you to Dumbledore, or I always loved, right? It also would have been really easy to make the big plot reveal that Jacob gets a wand. And, like, they didn't hide that at all. That was in the trailer from, like, day one. It wasn't a thing that was, like, subterfuge. I liked that. I liked that, and I liked that they didn't, like, find a way to be like, oh, Jacob's actually magic. Because people kept talking, I was, like, doing rumors. They're like, well, his name. And I was like, oh, that's too far. Um, and then Bunty leaves with Newt's case. Yeah, that's a big one. Um, I have a question. Mm-hmm. So we, to this day, don't necessarily know whatever, for whatever reason, as benign or malevolent as your brain wants to go to, why Catherine Watterson wasn't more heavily involved in this movie. Do, do, you, do you think that Bunty's prominence is as simple as they needed another character because tina for whatever reason was not playing a major role in this movie and bunty was already introduced so like hey let's just elevate her i so we talked about this a little with sarah when we did our thoughts on what we were kind of expecting and hoping for we talked about this very lightly um about her um if her prominence in the and we talked about it more in the sense of is Bunty a bigger character because everybody loved her from movie two because she really got like this trending all love for Bunty with the Tina thing. I actually think that um, Lolly Hicks was replacing the Tina character over Bunty's character. You I think? think 
the because of how much she was in it and with the core group, whereas Bunty was in it, but she was kind of like, she was essentially like the spy of the group. You saw her, you saw peaks of her, but she wasn't ever with the full group. Yeah, so, well, I, I don't think maybe the answer isn't necessarily just one to one, right? Maybe no, I don't think right across. A, I think it was probably spread across a couple, but just I mean, and look, this is no offense, me- and whoever I, I don't know the actress who led Bunty's name, no offense intended. I just I do not know any of her other work. I do not believe. Whereas again, maybe I have a bit of exposure bias, but like Jessica Williams is a known quantity to me. Mm-hmm. So to me, it feels slightly odd that in this major tentpole movie all of a sudden bunty is getting like a not, not a major role but she's she's bumped up a couple rungs yes. to like you know core minor character and part of me is that they did introduce a lot of new characters in this so do they want to introduce another new character well, they introduced a lot of new characters but they didn't do a lot of names right no, so like they all of those all of those brown shirts that kind of carried out a lot of Grindelwald stuff didn't get names. Yeah. Right. Like why uh, uh, the air Vogel, you know, uh, Richtenberg kind of in, in this allegory, he got a name, but, and Santos and the other one, but yeah. that was it. So actresses, Victoria Yeats. She's not in a lot. She's predominantly on call the midwife, but there, she does not have a large filmography. Yeah, and that's what um, I like. I think she did great. This is not meant as yeah. No, this is just, nothing against her acting or anything. I'm still curious if the choice was um, not necessarily because of the fans' love for her, but there was more of a demand. Like when her wand came out, a lot of the community was like, "Oh, have to get Bunty's wand." Yeah. I, anywho, um, something I found curious. Yeah. So we get 1930s Germany, and it's not nearly as explicit. Like there's not freaking swastikas flying on on roofs, mind you, mm-hmm. but the brutalist architecture is there. You get the propaganda signs and banners everywhere. Riots happening. Riots happening. Air Vogel is terrifying, yeah. and every single one of the henchmen looks like you could put them in a brown suit with a red armband, and yeah. and they'd be in character like pretty and damn easily. The entrance into the wizarding part of it felt a lot more natural than we talked a lot how the one in France felt really weird and awkward placement. Yeah, that was odd. So um, it was funny watching Jacob go through the wall because apparently the bricks don't completely part. They just kind of smash you as you walk through the wall. So we get an answer to the question. I know we're skipping ahead here by talking about Jacob interacting with magic. We get an answer to can Jacob see Hogwarts, which is a resounding yes. Yeah. Right. So we talked. I know I do remember we talked about this last time. I remember some things. Right, is based on the end of Crimes of Grindelwald, where the whole crew is on the Hogwarts Bridge. Jacob's looking around pretty, you know, befuzzled and mesmerized. You can interpret that one of two ways. Was this a man looking at a castle saying, holy shit? Was this a man looking at a bunch of runes saying, why are we all standing here? We see him in Hogwarts engaging with students in the halls. Like He is brought into the magic. Asked and answered, which was, you know, if, if you're looking for those kind of little mini pieces of trivia, pretty cool thing. What do you have next on your notes? Um, well, then we go into the um, the manticores, the the newt dance. Oh, uh, y'all! I told you. For I don't care how many more of these movies we're gonna get. If it's one, if it's two, if it's thirteen, for every one of these movies, the production team sits there in a conference room somewhere and says, "What cute dance move 
viral thing can we do with Newt and a creature? And, and the we audience got was doing the, it in the theater before we even left. Yep. And then Karina and others were doing it in the hallway afterwards. Look, I, I, it was it got the biggest kind of laugh kind of reaction out of our crowd, I think. It was also a chaotic scene because we talked about it. Is that like as they're trying to escape, you could not keep track of what was going on. Like yeah, walls. I, top of- yeah. So the, the exit didn't make sense yeah. because the massive manticore, whatever the hell that thing was, um, was just kind of thrashing at will like the Kraken in Pirates of the Caribbean. See, it's not a creating magic episode if I don't bring up pirates somehow. Um, and, but before that, here's my question. Dumbledore's like, you're going to need this and this and this to get in. And like, it's clearly some sort of pass, ticket, whatever. So Dumbledore knows. He understands enough about this prison subway death trap thing. Does he not know that like, it's like a one way, it's a Hotel California thing? Because the second Newt gets there, the guard is like, you ain't getting out of here. Like, you can go in, but you ain't getting out. And like, at that point, if I'm new, I'm like, well, wait, what'd you say? Didn't I just give you like my, like my pass, like visitors rights. Like I didn't understand that at all. Like at all. Like Dumbledore, yeah. Dumbledore should have said something. Him wearing the tie that he gave to Theseus. Well, right. But Dumbledore, who clearly knows enough about this pseudo prison thing should that have was been a, like that was supposedly shut down but yeah. is like this underground like wizarding yeah. but dumbledore should have just said hey you're gonna need this paperwork to get in just so you know it's not going to be a clean escape yeah right or hey just you're gonna have to escape okay. not like you can Good walk luck. in walk out yeah anywho uh seeing as we're talking about prisons this is kind of jumping back in time a little bit uh, but there was a scene earlier where queenie goes to J- uh to credence's room and has this yes. little mini scene with him um astute watchers of this movie such as i will notice that there's one there's one shot of credence with like a wall of the his room in the background and at like hip length maybe somewhere between the hip and the knee you can see in chalk on the walls the word azkaban written out there's a couple other words that precede it it wasn't prisoner of i I couldn't decipher what it was but i'm pretty confident it wasn't that um definitely says azkaban um if you also are a keen-eyed you know, watcher like myself, um, let us know at Great Magic Podcast what that said because I'm curious. Anyhow, we're done with prisons now, right? Yeah, we're done with prisons. Okay. And then we end up back at Hogwarts, right? Well, I, we've also skipped the Aberforth Dumbledore. Oh, Aberforth. And a lot of Aberforth Dumbledore conversation yeah, so- on the Hogshead. So I love those scenes for a couple of reasons. A, the actor who plays Aberforth just kills it. Absolutely kills it. I thought he did a great job. Uh, two, it's a scene where, let's say somehow you've stumbled into this theater and you've never... Richard Coyle. Yeah, Richard Coyle, whose name I've heard before. I've heard him. I, he's in something I've watched. Yeah, he has a wide range of movies. There's and well, and I'm going to determine the, this. Yeah, no, there, and it's a very like wide variety, so I wouldn't even guess which one you have seen. Well, let's see. Filmography. Nothing on this is, is sticking out to me. I've seen his name not just with not just with this movie before. Interesting. Okay. Anywho, doesn't matter. Um, I thought Richard Coyle was phenomenal as Aberforth. 
And what I like about the scene is two different things. If somehow you stumbled into this movie theater and have never read or watched Harry Potter before, you can just watch the scene and understand that it's two brothers who have very different tracks in life and don't really relate too well. But if you have all the added context, seeing Albus try to sit there and make very docile, like domestic conversation that reflects on a very trying time for all of them is a deeply fascinating choice. And I thought it was just beautifully acted by both of them. And I think having it like in the hog's head, like the setting, like added to that, we're like, okay, this is, yeah. Yeah. I thought, I thought that was all very good. Is this also, yeah, this is also when we get Minerva showing up. Uh, yeah so well they had that first scene and then they go to hogwarts and then they have dinner at hogshead is which well no but no minerva shows up oh no you're right yeah Yeah. just gotta make your peace with minerva being an adult when she should be like 10 right you just gotta make your peace with it y'all we already fought that fight and lost it after the last movie um the actress is good she does the brogue well she kind of she does the thing um but the thing just shouldn't it's fine it's fine it's fine um yeah so the group so what happens next is they all escape from their various places right that's what happens next there we go is you get bunty doing the case replication thing where bunty could have been a little more prepared for that yeah right like again if you know that you're going into a place where they don't speak the same language as you and you don't want them opening your well first of all I was like sitting there going, I'm like, don't they have the muggle worthy version? Like we saw it in movie one. Why aren't we using it in movie three? Yeah, that was confusing. But like, if you know, you don't want this chubby German leather maker uh, opening your case, say, hey, I just need you to replicate this. Just look at it and do your best. Like, don't hand it over to them. Don't. Don't not specify if I can double negative there. Like. I get it was for comedic dramatic effect, but that's on you, girl. Yeah. Um, so anywho, everyone escapes in their various situations and they end up back at Hogwarts at the Hog's Head. Um, then they go into the castle from there, right? They started at Hogwarts because um oh Jacob's, and they go, having, Jacob's having his little wand scene, that's and then correct. they're like dinners at the Hog's Head, and then they go back to Hogwarts. I'll tell you what, and tell me how you feel about this. My theory as to why that whole scene happened in the Great Hall and not Dumbledore's office is the Great Hall is basically already set at Leaves In pretty well, and Dumbledore's yeah. office, they would have had to do some maneuvering of other sets and, and retrofitting and hard, trinkets. It's also a hard set to film in. Yeah, correct. So it feels like they were like, hey, the Great Hall's open. It's pretty already done. We just have to bring yeah. the lighting back in and change a couple of the banners and we're good to go. Yeah. Um, I, I enjoyed that the Slytherins gave Jacob cockroach clusters. Yeah. Like, great. Again, we talk a lot about just wanting to see the regularness of like Wizarding World culture, like every day. Like, when you talk about like the other types of content we'd like to see, seeing Slytherin boys be shitheads to like a full grown adult, love it. Here for it. <laughs> Right, like seeing little girls fawn over this murdering or theoretically murdering, assassinating, assassinating Jacob, and like try to get his wand. Right, love it. Like that's great stuff. I'm I'm here for all these little personality vignettes that you get for each of that, not for each of the houses, but in this case, you know, the two. Um, Then it goes to the Hogshead, and they discuss what the importance of the chillin' is. Correct. And then we're back at Hogwarts in the. 
Well, no, room next, that is required. No, well, next, yeah. no, because before we get back to that, my favorite scene from the whole movie. This is genuine. No, you're about okay. to laugh. My favorite scene is is not not. I, I love Abbeforth and Dumbledore and, and Albus discussing Credence being Abbeforth's son. Big plot reveal. Everyone in the theater gasped. That was good. But my favorite scene is the next one between Newt and Albus in that same room. It is this move. So, so what I loved about this movie, perhaps more than any other things I said, I liked about it is that it has a through line of lightness and comedic intent that is interspersed with the seriousness and the, the weight of the world and the situation they're in. I think crimes of Grindelwald struggled because for many reasons, let's be clear, but it was a very dark movie with failed attempts at punctuating humor every so often. This movie was a lot more genial from start to finish. And I loved that. And then you get this scene, which is anything but, and it's not played as dark. It's played as extremely emotionally vulnerable and intense. And that's not something that you get Typically from Newt, even though he is vulnerable, he, he's very vulnerable at like a surface level because he seems to be, at least in the past movies, very afraid of opening himself up because he knows what happens when you get hurt. And then Albus, who, of course, is just Mr. Smoke and Mirrors when it comes to his genuine emotions. And you get this really, it almost, as the scene started in my head, I was sitting there like, is this word for word, the passage when Albus in the books is describing the fight with Grindelwald and Ariana and Abbeforth? And then it's it's not, but it's so it it was so intense, and like I, I I was on the edge of my seat watching that because that that's what the movie's about, right? The movie's not about the ch- I mean the, the plot of the movie rests on the the the, the glow in the dark deer, the chilling, but right the movie is about Dumbledore's internal struggle with the choices he made as a youth and how he reconciles those with the man he believes he's become, or at least is trying to be Mm -hmm. and how other forces, both ones from his past slash present Grindelwald or ones from his present slash future students and former students perceive him and are, and are exerting their own assumptions and life choices on him. So this scene was beautiful. I thought it was so beautiful. And that's one that's so easy to screw up because again, you can be too heavy handed or too, whatever but i mean eddie redmayne and jude law handled it just absolutely perfect they did and then because they had that moment at like after this whole story where you can tell like newt's trying to figure out the say and he starts thinking dumbledore stops him and goes don't disappoint me newt like the thing that is good about you is that you are always truthful type of situation it was just like also another moment of like him being like you don't have to like try to comfort me in this situation. Like you don't have to say words. Yeah. I, I thought that was, we're spoiling our end of movie favorites right now, but I I thought that was the most beautiful scene in in the entire film. I thought that was great. So yeah, to your point, this is where I'm going to do a canonical uh, Minerva McGonagall 2.0 here. Right, so if Minerva's presence in Crimes of Grindelwald was our first complaint, because that's a big one from that movie, my big canonical complaint in this movie is that in Chamber of Secrets, original Harry Potter, not Chamber of Secrets, good Lord, I was thinking Chamber, Chamber Pots, in Goblet of Fire, we hear Dumbledore talking to Karkarov or Barty Crouch or someone 
about, I think it was Karkarov, wasn't it? About the chamber pots and how one time he discovered oh, walking along this hallway chamber pots that he had never known to exist before and he's never been able to find them again. Right. Then you fast forward to the end of the books when in Deathly Hallows, like Harry comes to the conclusion that he and Voldemort, you know, Voldemort thinks that Voldemort was the only one to ever really discover the room requirement, which we know is false because the, the room of many things. Anywho, but we never get like verbal, literal confirmation that Dumbledore didn't know about the room of requirement, but it's very strongly implied throughout the books that Dumbledore was not aware of the actual room of requirement. He had encountered it in its form sometime, but never put two and two together there. However, in this movie, we get Jude Law Dumbledore walking around the room of requirement, or as Newt says, the room that we require um, with that weird spinning portkey thing. And that, that again, doesn't add up. The casual viewer is not going to know or care. The obsessive is going to take issue with it. And it's not something that necessarily had to be in the room of requirement. Again, it's a weird, this one, I don't know how to explain this as cleanly as the Great Hall versus Dumbledore's office. Yeah. But yeah, it doesn't make any sense why it's there. It could have easily happened in any other space. In a classroom, in his office. If you're already setting things in the Great Hall, just kick the students out and put it in the Great Hall. Yeah. Anywho. um, Yeah, I thought that was fascinating. Um, I do. I would like to point out that Voldemort, Tom Riddle, was born in 1926. Um, Hagrid was, what, two years older than Voldemort, than Tom Riddle? About. So this movie takes place in the late 30s. Theoretically, we could have slash should have seen Tom Riddle and or it, depending on when, you know, we should have seen them moving around the castle in the late 30s, no? Yeah, they didn't. That was one thing that I had thought. I'm like, did I miss them throwing up a timestamp and they didn't anywhere in this? No, they didn't throw up a timestamp. I think I saw maybe I forget where I read this or heard this, but I think the math checks out to where Hagrid uh, was expelled around like 42 or 43 or something like that. So it would have had to be late 30s because he was in his third year. Yeah, so maybe Hagrid's not there. So maybe they're not there yet in this movie. Fair enough. But depending on exactly when this movie is set, which at least in the movie we're not told, maybe in the screenplay or something it says it, but um, we could have seen them, which would have been a fascinating thing. Yeah, so they take the port keys and they do the whole shell game with the various cases. um, And they zoom off to Bhutan because let's go to Bhutan. Why not? I felt like a very bizarre choice, did it not? It felt bizarre, but I kind of still enjoyed it. There has to be, look, say what you will about this creator and all of her choices in the past 20 years. A lot of the original Potter books, the historical context for the, the whether it's, the, I mean, look, the centaurs have a very dark historical context, but a lot of the historical context seems to be very well researched and thought out in terms of why things come from the places they do or the derivations of words and things like that. So maybe Bhutan in literature well, or in mythology has some form of some form, magical. Even one of them said that like Jacob, like after it came up that that's where the, it was going was that like some people believe that like magic was founded here. Essentially what it was something along those lines. 
You well, right, but in in universe, sure. But what I'm yes, saying is, but like, out it, out of universe, there's probably something about the whatever geography. Right? There's got to be we'll, something. We'll refer Maybe. to Sarah at some point to answer that question. Good call, Sarah. If you're listening to this, creating magic podcast at gmail.com at creating magic podcast. Let us know what you think. I thought it was really. <laughs> Here's what I, this is again me. So this movie was originally supposed to be set in Brazil. Um, And then during the rewrite, it kind of got shifted. Not kind of, it did get shifted. You still get this either Portuguese or Brazilian candidate in Santos, who's running for Confederation president. It felt to me like with all of the flags going and all of the chanting in this Bhutanese village, it felt almost like a carnival. And so I'm like, did they just like repurpose shots or like repurpose image, like like vision and direction? Because like it felt very Carnival-esque. Maybe, it, you know? it felt very that way. And the decisions behind switching it, like not sure if it was COVID influenced and abilities to film in certain places because of restrictions and outbreaks. So not sure if that was also part of the influence there. But no, it felt very much like a festival of sorts. And look, let's be clear. I don't know the first thing about Bhutan and what their day-to-day village culture looks like. So maybe this is spot on. Um, but it did feel oddly reminiscent of what I have seen in in pop culture and in just my yeah. knowledge of the world. Like it was yeah. definitely wizarding world. Yes. Like, this yeah. was not a muggle area. Yeah, so they do this whole thing where they go on a wild goose chase through a lot uh, of little throwbacks with the cases. Yes, yes, the cases with the 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 enchanted bludgers attacking people. Monster book of snitch, monsters. The snitch having a dual purpose. The monster book of monsters. All these little things. It's like, hey, I, I recognize that. The duplication, um, like like Helga's cup, the bakery ones. Yep. Yep, yeah, that was good. Um, it was fascinating. Um, which again raises the point if Dumbledore knows how to enchant a bludger, when the enchanted bludger 40, 50 years later was attacking young Harry, how come he wasn't like, hey, that looks like the bludger I enchanted in Bhutan 50 years ago? Um yeah, I, I thought those scenes were good. Like I thought they balanced again, they balanced funny with the seriousness and the impending tension and kind of fear that you get turning around every corner. Like it certainly wasn't horror esque, like Game of Thrones, the Battle of Winterfell, but you felt increased tension every time a character would turn a corner, and all these nameless brown shirt Nazi wizards are chasing after them. And um, like you weren't ever quite positive who had. No, again, I love that. because they did this thing where Jacob went to pick up a case, and Dumbledore said, "Not that one," which is the case Newt takes. So you're assuming Newt has the the creatures. But at the same time, you're like, no, it's too obvious. Newt can't have no. the actual. See, so, so I'm going to see, this is where I'm going to give myself credit, but really some credit here goes to Simply Potter Girl, uh, Brandy J. Brown. There was only five cases on the ground there, yeah. but we knew that there were what, six cases in total, right? Because there's the original plus the five copies. So when there's only five cases in the port key room requirement, we know there's an extra case somewhere, well, right? because. No, no, because there's we, Bunty brings in her one case original and says, I need five copies of this main. So then okay. there's six cases. I feel like I'm doing either an LSAT thing or a math word problem right now. So then there's six cases. When we go to the room of requirement, there's only five cases sitting on the ground. 
Mm-hmm. Right. So when Dumbledore does that, don't touch that one, go to the other one. I think he's just having fun. I think that's just Dumbledore. Cause again, everyone, th- everyone knows that Dumbledore holds all the cards here. I think that's just him being like, I'm going to fuck with these guys. Oh, see, I took it as Dumbledore wanted Newt to think he had the actual case. No, no, I, I agree, but I think he did it out of, I'm just, I'm going to have a little bit of fun here, right? Because if everyone, if someone, if everyone knows their case is fake, like the stakes aren't going to be super high, right? Like they, I, I interpreted that scene as like Dumbledore's case fun. never showed up. Yes, it did. No, Bunchy had a case in her hand. She that- picked up a case. Newt had a case, Theseus had a case, Lolly had a case, and Jacob had a case. That's five yeah, cases. But, no, but the sixth case showed up because Bunty shows up in the whole veil thing, which but I thought she was going to be Tina. Case when she I left. thought that was going to be yeah, but I think she drops that one to cause the the, the commotion. We never saw her drop other, a other, case. No, because otherwise, why would you make a sixth case? Why would you have six? There's no reason. If there's if you're only gonna have five at the Bhutanese village, why why wouldn't you only make four copies then and the fifth is the original and then you're good? Because then there's four fakes and one real. Again, I think Dumbledore, again, it wasn't explained and I don't necessarily need it to be. I think that Dumbledore and or Bunty or some or Abaforth or someone brought the real case there and had it ready for because Dumbledore's like, I gotta go. Other people need me now when he left Jacob, right? I think all five cases in the room requirement are all diversionary ones that explode with books or papers or bludgers or snitches or baked goods or whatever the hell, right? Um, and the real one is the one that Bunty has when, again, I thought that was going to be Tina in the in the green veil coming up the steps. Because the way Newt looks at her, I'm like, oh, we're finally going to get her. He wasn't looking at her feet. That's how we should have known it wasn't her. Because Newt would have looked at her feet and been like, oh, I'm a little uncomfortably hot under the collar here. I like this. Um, but that's the real one. See, I, I, don't, I went with I don't think, had the case the whole time. I don't think Dumbledore is, I think Dumbledore is too smart to, and again, not a shot at Bunty, to during this whole massive, you know, maze chase through the Bhutanese village to have the real case in play. I think he's got the real case ready at the last moment for Bunty to then grab. Because what happens if Bunty has the real one, but Bunty gets caught during the maze chase? Oh, well, then you're fucked. Whole plan's over. So, no, I, Brandy pointed this out in the movie. She elbowed me and held up six. She was like, six, five. Like, and go back, listeners, loyal listeners, go back I'll and watch that scene. Disagree. Okay, agree we'll agree to disagree, but we'll agree that I'm also right. It's fine. It's no, fine. You're not. Okay. Um, so yeah, and then this is where you lose me a little bit. So fake chilling, fake little chilling, like undead little chilling. Yeah, guys, there's this whole scene where Grindelwald is in a wool suit in a pool, resurrecting a dead little chilling. It happened. Vogel, the Nazi, and Ezra Miller, the recently uh, arrested uh, movie star, and the other and Vinda are all there. Um, that happened. So the resurrected little chillin does its thing and bows to Grindelwald. And then this is where Bunty shows up. Well, first Jacob shows up and gets tortured. Uh, Newt tries to stop, doesn't really. I think they're about to kill Jacob, um, which would have, look, that would have been a Game of Thrones type of conviction. Like, hey, no, like this is serious shit here, y'all. Like 
this is the premise of World War II. Like, people are going to die. I'm not saying I would have liked Jacob dying because I think he's probably the best character in the films, but that would have made for a damn good plot twist. Uh, anywho, Bunty shows up with the case, the real case, not the diversionary case, and real little chillin' comes out. And this is where it beggars belief. Because at this point, Grindelwald knows the jig is up. Right? Because the real little chillin' is going to not bow to him. Why doesn't Grindelwald just kill little baby chillin' and then seize power at this point? I He knows that he knows that he's at the end of his rope here with this whole ruse. I don't understand why the murderous megalomaniac evil leader doesn't start exhibiting murderous megalomaniac tendencies and murder the little chillin and then just use brute force to seize power. Don't get it. No idea. But in this time, they then break the blood pact. Yeah, The blood pact gets broken through this weird threesome of spells. Um, don't fully understand how exactly it got broken. They explain it, but I still didn't. Paula and I essentially broke it down to love conquers all. Yeah, I still. <laughs> That's kind of. Dumbledore... But then like, part of me is also like. Grindelwald couldn't move against Albus. But does it link up to other Dumbledores? Because he then moved no. against. No, because the. Yeah. No, I can't. Well, I was just trying. Like, I was trying to like figure it out in my head. So I was like going with that. And I was like, no, but. He also like tried to use it against essentially against three Dumbledores at once. Yeah, I didn't I didn't understand. I didn't understand how it got broken, but it got broken. That's all that matters. Um and then they go into that weird metaverse where he's like, Who do you have now, Dumbledore? Who will love you now? Uh, whatever, okay. Um Grindelwald yeah, does a weird Glinda the Good floating bubble to kind of flee, which was bizarre. Oh, here's a question. Major question. Lil Chillin' the True, not Lil Chillin' the Undead. Mm-hmm. Lil Chillin' the True bows to Albus. I thought that the Lil Chillin' the True was only going to bow, if I listened correctly, to people who had nothing but like true, good, selfless intent in their heart and soul, right? Something like that. I, so I went back and forth with this and I'm going to have to watch it again know the wording because if that's the wording they're going by, that's Newt. Well, it's that also, Luke well, is not someone of that wants to be in a leadership position. Well, look, I don't know who it is, but I know who it's not. It's not Albus Dumbledore. Albus Dumbledore wanted to conquer the, the muggle world for the greater good as a child. Regardless of his reason for wanting to do so, he wanted to do so. But that Definitely. was at a that was not a current place of heart of where he was at. Yeah. But throughout the films, both canon throughout the books, throughout the films, everything Dumbledore admits at many points that he is far from a perfect, mm-hmm. you know, he, he lies his way through the majority of yeah, his but life. I don't know if it's, it's a, it's not perfect. It's intent. Well, yeah, but it, I it's, love it's splitting hairs and we would really need to hear the wording again of how they explained it. Yeah, like I love the way that Jude Law handles it. And he's like, oh no, oh no, not me. Like I thought that was very funny. Yeah. And it, it reminded me of that moment, like in the Harry Potter books, where they talk about like how like they were trying to get him to minister. And he's like, that's no, no. Yeah, differences in the books. You can't convey the humor no, and just him being like I thought it was very funny the it way was. that he was like, no. 
and then it bows to Santos or whatever, and she yeah. becomes leader. I didn't understand. He's like, surely there's another. And then the children's like, okay. I didn't fully get that, but it's fine. It really yeah. didn't matter. Um, and, and that's that's the end of what I'm going to call the contemporaneous film before we get to the final scene. Anything else you want to add on about the contemporaneous film? Um, We have the... We really avoided like the credence conversation. Well, I think why? Why do you think we avoided? I I, I wanted to ask. Uh, you that. It wasn't a main through line. Um, there was one scene that like I really not enjoyed. That's weird. How it was filmed was very interesting. Was the Dumbledore credence fight scene, and I think it was really interesting to watch. And it like was another one of those like mental spells where it all kind of happened inside. Their brains, but then there's that Aberforth credence scene at the end that's yeah, very but, reflective. Yeah, I just don't care about credence, and I don't like nothing to. I just it, the storyline doesn't matter to me. It's because it it's, it's, it's a it's a red herring. Yeah. It's not something that matters to the core of the story. It is, and in this movie, they're like he's dying, and to me, that means it's a way for them to write him out of the story. I don't think yeah. he's going to appear again, especially with everything else going on with the actor. Well, I want to talk about what again, I want to talk about again here in a minute. Um, I agree with you, but I want to talk about what again could even mean because we get this final scene, which is outside inside slash outside of Kowalski's bakery. We're back in New York. Um and inside you have Jacob preparing for his wedding to Queenie. You have Newt nervously rehearsing his best man speech, but really focusing on seeing Tina. Then you go outside and you have uh, Yalali Hicks and you have Callum Turner, Theseus showing up. Uh, and then Tina shows up or vice versa in terms of order. Um, Tina showing up for a solid 30 seconds of the film. Um, but what I want to talk about is the scene with Dumbledore that Newt has. Yes. Because it raises a couple questions for me. Yeah, I had one big question after watching it. Okay, so let's see if we cover that one in in in, in the in logical yours. path I'm about to go down here. One of the things that Newt says to Dumbledore is, "I didn't think I'd see you here. I didn't know if I was going to be here. I didn't know if I would, or however he phrased it back." Right, which started me thinking, when exactly is this scene taking place? Then Newt, with an extreme sense of like closure and finality, says, like, it was like an honor to help you. I would do it all again. Which then I'm like, really, when is this scene taking place? Is this a flash forward? Because I heard that scene, I'm like, oh, well, Grindelwald's done. The Wizarding World is saved. Dumbledore doesn't need any more help with a big mission right now. Because if this if this scene takes place, let's say weeks after the scene in Bhutan, is Newt really saying, "Hey, we're done. This was fun. I would do it again sometime if you want." I don't, I don't, I don't understand where this takes place in the timeline. I don't think it's like a flash forward type of thing. Um, to me, it was now that the blood pact is over, Dumbledore himself can move against Grindelwald. Yeah, but Dumbledore. Yes, Newt has helped with things, but he was never going to be the one to do the battle. 
Was he the final actual battle? Sure, but Dumbledore has proven time and time again that he's not a fan. Just hey, let's go battle. Yeah, it's machinations and it's, games it's a long and game. yeah, right. And so it felt odd to me that Newt was like, "Hey, we're done here. I'd do it again if you want, but we're done." Yeah, my question well, this that leads, popped well, this, up. Okay, go ahead. This might be you, my final one. Go ahead. Continue. No, go ahead. Go ahead. My question after that conversation was: It felt like that if they choose to do another movie that it won't be fantastic beasts it will be dumbledore versus grindelwald and we will we might see some of these characters we enjoy but there's not going to be a focus on them that they are no longer the people we are following we'll be following more along the lines of dumbledore grindelwald yeah well my question was in a slightly similar vein albeit different that final scene provided simultaneously finality if Warner Brothers wanted to wipe their hands of this franchise, mm-hmm. or regardless of what direction they take it in, with that I do it all again if you ask me to line, the ability to open it up with another movie yes. tomorrow. Um, they can end it with everyone feeling comfortable because everybody knows what happens with the battle. Yeah. We don't have to actually see it. We know how it ends. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's funny. We had we had joked in the lead up to this movie that like if this movie performed really poorly, not only was there not going to be another, that one was pretty not necessarily joked about, pretty widely known that like that was like the sentiment around Warner Brothers, but also like, hey, there was going to be major redevelopments to the upcoming epic universe. Yeah. Right. Um, I have heard from a couple different places in the past couple of days as media have started to see this movie that expectations based on early reaction seem to be high enough that the that Warner brothers is comfortable with moving ahead with this franchise as a movie franchise mm-hmm. to your point, what the next movie is, I, you know, whether it's fantastic or whatever, right. Yeah. This franchise is going to continue a B there was some talk. They were going to pivot it to a TV series. I don't think that's going to happen. And they could, they still they, could, They could. but I don't, I don't, I don't think it's going to happen at this point, but see that, um, it feels like if box office returns come in the way that early indications on this film seem like they will, Epic Universe is going to be Fantastic Beasts. The corner is going to be Fantastic Beast centric, yeah. and and it's not. They're not going to have to redevelop that last minute. So, all in all, I think Warner Brothers is going to be pleased with the outcome of this film. That's and that's the movie. <laughs> no, what was your favorite scene? <laughs> My favorite scene. I don't know if they're like necessarily favorites. Like I like the one that you talked about with the emotional level of the Ariana scene. I also like the like book port key situation happening because I just enjoyed watching that with all the pages flying. But after first first watching, I can't pick like a specific scene that I'm like that was my favorite. Yeah, fair. Yeah, no, I loved I loved the Dumbledore Newt scene at the Hogshead. I thought that was just. I don't need to go into it again. I thought it was beautiful. Who was, who won the movie for you? Who won the movie? Um, I think Dumbledore did. I mean, I love Jacob. I love Newt. I love the relationship of Dumbledore and Aberforth. And it just keeps going back to like, in the sets, I really liked Dumbledore throughout this one. Yeah, I have to agree. I think Jacob is a really close second because again, Dan Fogler does God's work in this movie in terms of his his range and and his his acting choices. But Jude Law, I think, demonstrates a lot more nuance in this film than he had opportunity to, mind you, in the first couple. 
We see a um, lot more of like thought process. And we also see a lot of pain. Yes. Right. Um, I, I, yeah, I thought Jude Law was phenomenal. I'll tell you what surprised me most. Listeners, this is an odd one, but the credits, stay for the credits. There's no post-credit scene, at least not one that I saw. Um, but the credits are beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like the, the the graphic design they have going on as the credits are rolling, absolutely gorgeous. Like, like really, really gorgeous in a way that is hard to explain because it feels silly. Um Go, just stay for the credits and watch the credits because you, you won't feel like you've really wasted time. The, the song choice felt a little out there during the credits. Yeah, it did. I agree. Um, also, the movie's beautiful. It like is. We talked about this a lot during our Potter rewatch that like I hated the sepia tones that got put over the majority of like the back half of the Potter films and Crimes of Grindelwald falls trap kind of falls prey to a lot of color filters. This movie, and again, I think it's probably because it takes large part, takes place in the snow, so it's kind of hard to put tons of filter over that. It looks beautiful. Like, yes. it, it's it's not a movie that is kind of monochromatic in any way, shape, or form. Like, when there's color, it pops, and when there's not color, it's a beautiful kind of white-gray slate that I think really, really works. So, um yeah, and, and I think James Newton Howard is back to do the music on this one for the third one again. Uh, good score. Like, it didn't feel obtrusive or intrusive at any point, right? It, it, it fit well. Mm-hmm. This is a good movie. It was. Um, runtime was two hours, 23 minutes. And it. I didn't have any moment where I'm like, we're still here. Like, it Well, never I didn't felt, have that. Uh, yeah, I didn't have that. But again, slow. again, those first 30 minutes or so when we're jumping from, like, vignette to vignette. I was like, oh no, oh no. Yes, but that's different than like sitting there going, are we still going through this? Well, right, but at that point I was like, oh God, do I have to sit through two hours, 23 minutes? And and it picked up, it got better, whatever. But stay with it through those first couple scenes, y'all. I don't have my rankings in front of me and I know you don't either. I I think this- No, I do. They've been, I've kept them on my computer for situations like this. It's definitely going to take me a couple more watches to really give it a true ranking. Yeah. But again, it's top half. Remind me where I fell with You my, are with my... Deathly Hallows Part 1, Order, Deathly Hallows Part 2, Half-Blood Prince, Chamber, Fantastic Beast, Azkaban, Prisoner, Goblet, Crimes. What were 4 and 5, Chamber and... or no, Half-Blood uh, Prince... Prince and then Chamber. It's somewhere, I, again, I'm going to have to watch it a couple more times. It's somewhere for me in that Prince Chamber region of like three, four, or four, five, six. Yeah. Somewhere would, in there. I'd put it around four, five. I think it's better. Like, I don't, again, I don't think, I think it's better than Fantastic Beast One. It's certainly better than Fantastic Beast Two. Yes. Um, so for me, my floor is six, right? Because six is where I have Fantastic Beast One. Yes. Right. So for me, it's not. Like, I don't think it's better than Deathly Hallows Part 2. So I'm not putting it higher than, I'm not putting it third. And I'm not, uh, it's better than Fantastic Beast 1. So I'm not putting it sixth. So for me, it's somewhere in that four or five range. I'll have to go through that and figure it out. Yeah. And my mine's right around the same place. Yeah. Y'all, good film. Go see it. Yeah. Go see it. Enjoy. Got to say, shout out to Warner Brothers for inviting us to go see the film. That was a lot of fun. It was really cool to see it with a bunch of our friends, right? Everyone. Mm-hmm. I mean, Johnny, Carla, Nicolette, Susan, Amanda, Brandy, Paula, Karina, Melissa, Meg, 
So at Diego, so many people were there. I've never really experienced seeing a film, not necessarily with friends, even just with people all of a same fan. Like Batman probably was the closest I got. Um, when we saw the Batman the other month at a fan premiere. Yeah, I talked to Paula about this. Is, and, and I reference like you and me is that when we saw Crimes, it was like us and one or two people we knew that weren't necessarily like big fans, no. but people that we were like, oh, please come see this with us. And this was the first time like where I felt like I sat in a theater and everyone around me was fans of the thing and just excited to be there to experience it together. Yeah, the security guard, God bless her. She was Before the movie starts, she goes, Y'all are like a bunch of kindergartners running up and down the aisles. You guys are excited and loud. <laughs> we were talking about, we're like, do you think they've ever had like a pre-screening where like the entire screening knew everyone? Yeah, that's a good point. So anywho, you know, um, again, shout out to Warner Brothers for the invite, but really shout out to y'all because we got invited because we do this podcast and I don't know what the hell it is we do here every week, but apparently we're doing something right because we yeah. got Warner Brothers attention in a good way. Um in a good way. So thanks to y'all for listening and engaging with us every week on Instagram, on social media, uh, at Creating Magic Podcast, Creating Magic Podcast at gmail.com, Creating Magic PC on Twitter. Otherwise, um, we'll see y'all next time. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. Bye. Wow.